This week, we're talking about unsellable businesses. Hey there, everyone. It's David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon podcast, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. This week, I got a comment from a YouTube viewer named Chip asking a question about unsellable businesses. So let me read Chip's question and and because I think it's going to make a great video. Um, Chip writes, first off, I thought this was a great set of interviews and thanks for posting it. He's, review, he's referring to the holiday chat calls that were released to people on the email list over the course of the holidays. Those are not publicly available, but anyone who's on my email list or who joins the email list can get access to them. Uh, you'll find a link down below, but it's uh, davidcbarnettlist.com if you want to sign up. One of the comments that came up is that there are unsellable businesses. I guess I'm just of the school that everything has a price, even if it's just five bucks in cab fare. So I'm curious about what this means. This is a fantastic comment because, you know, as I make videos and as I've made more and more and more videos over the course of time, of course, it's impossible for me to give a caveat and, you know, parentheses around every single thing or comment that I say when I'm talking about different issues, because for from almost every point of view in almost every discussion I ever make on a video, the real answer to most questions is it depends because of course of the specific circumstances given any particular kind of business. So I think the first thing that we have to start with is my definition of a business. Um, basically, um, I, you know, you could have a corporation, an LLC, etc. The the place where you live, the government is going to consider that this is a business, but it doesn't necessarily qualify as a business in my mind. So, what exactly do I believe a business is? Well, it's got to be some kind of organization, uh, a system for creating a cash flow, and that cash flow has to be greater than what the owner would earn if they went and worked somewhere else for another business. Okay. So I'm talking about a business where the owner can get a fair market wage for the labor they deliver in managing the business every day, and that there's some kind of extra money available after that, which gives them a return on investment. So this fits within a framework that I've talked about in Business Buyer Advantage, where I talk about how the fact that there are businesses, which I just described, but then there are, are going concerns, which are businesses that have a, a very large cash flow in excess of half a million dollars a year. That's what I call a going concern. And then, but then less than that, if if you own a business that's only able to provide just the same amount of money you would earn if you did that work for someone else, I don't call it a business, I call it a job. I call it owning a job. And then if you're not able to deliver the same cash flow that you earn working for some that you would earn working for someone else, then I call it a hobby because the only way that the the enterprise is allowed to function is because you're donating free labor to make it go. Okay. And so I draw a comparison between a person who's you know spending time and effort and money building a model train set and somebody who is working hard all week making something go that looks like a business but really doesn't pay them what they should be paid. So what are they doing? They're contributing their labor for free to make the thing go. Well, anything you do for free to achieve some kind of end has got to be a hobby, right? Or or some kind of speculative venture, you know? So you're you're trying to invest your labor and efforts and everything else to make to make something that might turn into something at some point down the road. So when I talk about unsellable businesses, you know, to relate it to Chip's comment, um, 
you know, Chip's point of view, it, when he says that uh, every business has a price, even if it's $5 in cab fare, um, is he's probably talking about a business that is failing and someone just wants out and they're willing to let it go at a highly discounted price. So, you know, if we imagine, for example, a restaurant, right, that's losing money, an owner of that restaurant may be willing to sell at a highly discounted price to Chip's point. But in my books, they're not selling a business. They're selling the assets that might be sitting in what we would recognize as a restaurant. So I've got a bunch of notes here because I want to take us more deeply through this uh, thought, but I wanted to remind everyone, please, 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 if you enjoy the video and you're enjoying this video and you enjoy all my videos, click the thumbs up. It, it really does make a big help uh, in the YouTube algorithm. So um, first of all, there are two categories in my mind of businesses that are unsellable for one of two different reasons. The first reason is because of the operator. The second reason is because of the business's performance. So let's delve into the operator one first. So for example, um, if I were doing to try to sell my business right now, it would pretty much be unsellable because my business is basically an extension of myself and my own consulting and me doing the advertising, et cetera. In order for me to get my business into a state where it might be sellable, I would have to do a lot of things such that people would be happy engaging with my business where they didn't necessarily have to deal with me. I'm not at that point yet. And my business falls into a category of businesses that sort of consultants and all kinds of independent practitioners would find themselves in lawyers, accountants to a certain degree, right? So then there's the category of business owners. I mentioned lawyers and accountants, the special skills category. So um, I was approached a few years ago by a young optometrist who was looking at buying uh, an optometry clinic and wanted me to review the financials with them. And, you know, I had a big question, you know, if you went and worked as an optometrist someplace else, what would you be paid? And they said, you know, 150 to 200 grand, probably. Optometrist is a highly skilled trade. You have to go to school for a long time to be able to do that kind of work. Well, then when we normalize the income statement of this optometry clinic, there was like an extra 20 or 30 grand a year over and above that fair market value of what the optometrist did. So I explained to the optometrist, like, you're looking at spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy a business with a net gain to yourself of 20 to 30 grand a year. Does it really make sense to invest that amount of money to have such a small return on your investment when you know you just go employ your optometry skills someplace else? And what's crazy, so, so the optometrist didn't buy the optometry clinic. The person who was trying to sell the optometry clinic clearly had performance issues. There were all kinds of problems with the overhead of the business. They had not been thinking about preparing the business for sale. They had never been, for example, normalizing the financial statements to look at what the performance should have been beyond what they themselves were earning because they were an optometrist as well. And the hilarious punchline to that whole affair, if you know, it's tragic, obviously, for the person trying to sell. But um, when that optometrist told the seller that they didn't want to buy the business, um, you know, basically the seller got upset, told him to go away. And that optometrist started to call around and found um, an optical business, uh, optician business where they sell glasses, who basically said, if you want to come here and do work, we can give you a space for free. So that, 
that op optometrist was able to go and set up a business for free uh, with resources provided by the, the eyeglassware place who simply wanted someone on site who could do prescriptions to enhance their, their glasses business, right? The, the other thing too, the other category of operator related problems for an unsellable business would be a business where there's some sort of special reputation at play. So one of the examples that I like to use is the architect. And so unlike an optometrist, you know, optometrists, you know, have a certain set of skills. I suppose you could be a good or a bad optometrist, but most people who, you know, are worried about vision will go to an optometrist and, and feel that they're being taken care of. And if they need glasses, they're going to get them. Um, someone like an architect, you're involving something different, which is sort of an artistry or creative skill set. And so you could have an architecture firm where there's a key architect or a team of architects, maybe they're award-winning, they've won prizes, they've been recognized for you know, different buildings that they designed, things like that. The reason people are gonna be going to that firm is because of that team. And so again, this falls into a category of unsellable businesses. Um, when businesses like this often sell, they'll sell to another architect, for example, who will often require the selling team to remain associated with the business for many years so that the goodwill that exists within that, that firm's name is able to transfer over to, uh, to the new person and, um, and you know, not disappear, basically. So those are the operator-related ones. Let's get to performance, because this is the one that, that I mentioned to earlier when I alluded to the restaurant and Chip's question. So if our seller's discretionary earnings, our SDE cash flow, is less than the fair market value of what a person would earn if they were working for someone else, then we have that hobby, right? And I look at businesses all the time that fall into this category, where um, if you analyze the cash flow of the business, the cash flow of the business, when, we, when I compare it to other similar businesses that have sold, gives me a figure that is lower than the fair market value of the stuff in the business, right? So not only does the owner not earn enough money, but the money that they do earn doesn't justify the investment in the, the tangible things that are in that business in order to make it go. So that owner has a choice. They can either close the business and liquidate and try to sell off the equipment and, and reap that higher tangible asset value if they're able to. Now in liquidation, things often go for less than fair market value. So this is a consideration, right? Um, even further into this problem are situations where the seller's discretionary earnings is less than zero. How could that ever be? Well, it comes about in the case of some kind of subsidy to the operation of the business. And business owners don't set out with the intention usually of creating a subsidy to a money losing business. Most sellers don't even realize that this is happening. The most common instance where this occurs is when the business owns real estate. A few years ago, I created a video called Why Aren't uh, Millennials Buying Baby Boomers Businesses, where I did an analysis of a hardware store that was for sale in Worcester, Massachusetts. And so what happens is someone owns a business and they buy the building that they're in. And then over the course of time, the mortgage gets paid off and the business is operating in there, but now the business doesn't have any rent and so the value of that space is never recognized. So you can have a business owner who works in their business, they draw a salary out, 
every year they meet with their accountant who tells them that they're doing well and they're making money and they owe taxes, et cetera. And then when they try to sell, nobody's able to buy it. Why? Because if that business were located in a rental property that where they paid a fair market rent, the business wouldn't make any money. The only reason it appears to make any money is because the capital invested in the real estate is subsidizing the operation of a money losing business. And so it, 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 these are the most difficult conversations I ever have with sellers. When I show them that what they believe is a good business is actually an awful business. And that if someone were going to come along and buy the business and then buy the building and have to pay a mortgage or, or if they kept the building and they charged rent, the business wouldn't be able to succeed. These are the really bad situations. Again, we end up in a situation where that seller has to decide, am I going to you know, discount this business to the point where it makes sense for a buyer or am I going to try to liquidate it to end up with a higher figure? So in that video with the hardware store, the building was in downtown Worcester, all kinds of like restaurants and brew pubs and things were opening up in the downtown core. So clearly that building is worth something for some redevelopment purpose to be used in another way. You know, I don't know whatever happened to that hardware store. Maybe someone in Worcester can comment down below and let me know if it's still operating. So, so those are the examples of the cash flow. Now, here is here's the deal. So, if you're a seller in that position, what decision do you make? Do you liquidate your business or do you sell it and mark down the price significantly so that it makes sense for someone else to do it? Or does the decision get made for you? So there's there's a running joke in the restaurant community that the third owner of a restaurant is the one who makes money. So how does that joke work? Well, somebody you know spends one and a half million dollars building a building and putting in a restaurant and paying for all the fit ups and all the all the leaseholds and everything, and they're never able to make enough money because the market isn't there, and they end up trying to sell. And, and what that person does is they're often able to find a buyer who can be um, convinced that there's value in the building because it costs one and a half million to build, maybe you know, 900 or a million is owed on it. And this buyer gets excited by the fact that they can buy a one and a half million dollar business for $1 million, for example. So the first person loses all their equity. The second person ends up with the business. But you know what? The second person still can't make it. They end up failing. Maybe they fall behind the mortgage and the bank takes it, right? And now the bank puts it up for sale, trying to liquidate and get whatever they can for it. And someone comes along and buys the whole shebang for three hundred fifty dollars or $400,000. Now the market is sufficient to support that business. And the third owner is able to make their mortgage payment because their mortgage payment is so much smaller because they bought it at a lower price. So that's an example of this phenomenon in place is that, you know, the, the business was never worth what was initially invested um, because people were able to get other people to swallow the losses and the bank, in my example, they were finally able to get to the point where the business was a viable going concern where it could actually now probably trade on the value of its cash flow. So just, a big conversation there about unsellable businesses. When I say a business is unsellable, I mean that it could never be sold as a going concern. It could never be sold as a business because the level of activity 
doesn't justify the investment in the tangible assets. And so the seller could sell the assets, which in my mind is not really selling a business, it's selling the stuff, right? Um, or there's operator issues that make the business unsellable, either in the fact that nobody would be able to take over the operation because of a lack of some kind of skills, or just the business is tied so closely to the individual who happens to be the owner that um, no one else would be able to take advantage of any goodwill that might exist. The goodwill is with the, the, with the seller rather than with the business. And I've made videos about that as well. Um, and you know, if you're thinking about buying or selling a business, I would direct you to the main page of the YouTube channel because there's a section called playlists where I've got a playlist for buyers, a playlist for sellers. I've got a playlist on a number of different topics. And so you can watch those playlists and it kind of organizes the videos according to the themes. And I know I've had comments from a lot of people in the past who um, are new to the channel and they've really wanted to learn from all the stuff on the channel. And they've told me that the playlists have been very helpful because they can organize everything and they can run through it, uh, probably spend weeks of time watching and listening to me. Yeah. If, uh, if you want to learn how to buy a business, head on over to businessbuyeradvantage.com and uh, sign up for my online course. Um, it's been for sale for a couple of years. Hundreds of people have gone through it and uh, I only ever hear positive feedback. And so I know it's a, it's a great value and I know it'll help you out and show you what's real and what isn't and, and what you need to get out of a deal for it to make sense for you. And with that, we'll say see you later. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.